0: How are we all doing? It is Brandon Mackey, staff writer for silver 7 SilverSevensSens.com here. And this, of course, is the podcast known as Internal Budget, episode 33. Wow. It is good to be back. Uh, took a week off for the first time in internal budget history last week. Just had too much going on. I, I didn't want to put a, a crappy quality episode out. So I appreciate you folks being patient not getting an episode next or last week and being back here for this one. Man, I feel refreshed. It feels like like a month since I've done a podcast and it's only been a week. That just goes to show you how much I love doing it and I love doing it because of you, fine folks. I appreciate the love. I appreciate the questions, I appreciate the constant downloads, subscriptions and listens. Please keep those coming by the way. Make sure you download, make sure you subscribe, make sure you share it with your hockey-loving friends that would love the sounds of my sweet sultry voice. Now that I've referred to my voice as sultry, this will probably, probably be the last episode of Internal Budget, so let's make it count. Lots of playoff hockey going on. Of course, we are going to get to that. Uh, We're going to get to the 8-2 drubbing of the New York Islanders by the Tampa Bay Lightning. But first, this is an Ottawa Senators audience after all. And there is some big news in Ottawa Senators land. Bobby Ryan, BFR, has been named the winner of the 2020 Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy Ryan is the second Ottawa senator to ever win this award, which is handed out to the player that best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance and dedication to the game of hockey. Craig Anderson won it back in 2017 uh, for his courageous performance in the wake of his wife, Nicole's cancer diagnosis. Obviously, Ryan winning it this year due to his comeback from alcohol issues after entering the player assistance program last November and returning in February. What a triumphant return it was, scoring a hat trick against the Vancouver Canucks on February 27th on home ice, a game that made me cry from my couch here in downtown Toronto as I watched it. It was something special, and it's one of those games you'll never forget. So congratulations to Bobby Ryan. I can't think of a more deserving guy for it. Now, that's not me saying Oscar Lindblom did not deserve it. That's not me saying Steven Johns didn't deserve it. Both of those guys deserved it as well. I hate this competition that we have to have every year around the Masterton. Like, why do we have to pick one guy? And why is it that when one guy wins, there's always some clowns from the other team's fan bases hopping into mentions and saying how this guy didn't deserve it, but their guy actually deserved it. Look, all three guys showed a tremendous amount of courage. Oscar Lindblom going through bone cancer at such a young age. I can't even imagine what that's like. Uh, And it seems to me, the general consensus seems to be that he is already... The preordained 2021 winner, so he's gonna get his due, no worries there. Stephen John's battling concussion symptoms for 22 months before returning. Unfortunately, I do know what that feels like, as you folks well know. I've had a long battle with post concussive syndrome that ended my university football career, but you know, a 22 month return to NHL action that's unfathomable. Uh, so Again, another guy who is totally deserving of this award. All of them are so deserving, but we love Bobby Ryan here in Ottawa, and rightfully so. He's a fantastic human being. He's great in the community. He's been nothing but a good soldier throughout his seven seasons in Ottawa. No matter what role he was asked to play, no matter if he was asked to sit in the bench, sit in the press box, go out and score an overtime goal in the playoffs, Bobby Ryan did it all and then some, and he continues to do it. I know the contract is a sticking point for people. I understand that. He doesn't quite live up to the value of, I think it's over $7 million a year. But at the end of the day, a guy like Bobby Ryan um, and the leadership ability that he has and the quality of person he is, that is going to be so crucial to a young Ottawa Senators team that is going to welcome more young players in before Ryan's time is up. Obviously, the draft is coming up. There's going to be some huge quality, huge, hugely important players that are taken in that draft and join the Ottawa Senators locker locker room. Having guys like uh, Bobby Ryan around is going to be instrumental in making sure those guys are the future of the Ottawa Senators. So, Bobby, I know there's zero chance you're listening to this podcast, but on the off chance you are, congratulations. Uh, We all appreciate you so much in this market, everything you've done for us, and you deserve this. We're proud of you, and we're with you every step of the way. Um, I know this battle isn't one that's over uh, now that you've kicked your addiction. I know that this is going to be an ongoing process for the rest of your life, and like I said, every step of the way, those of us in Ottawa and in this market, we're with you, and we have your back wherever you end up even if a few year in a few years you're not an Ottawa Senator anymore we've got love for you and we will always always have your back in the Ottawa market let's talk some playoff hockey now that's a a concept that as we well know doesn't really apply to the Ottawa Senators these days we had an, we had the first game of the Eastern Conference Final tonight between the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the New York Islanders. And a lot of people, myself included, were really interested to see how this was going to go, how a high-octane offensive unit like the Lightning was going to match up against a stingy, well-structured defensive team like the New York Islanders. And boy, did we get an answer in Game 1. My goodness gracious, the lightning put the pedal to the metal from the opening puck drop, just decimating the Islanders on route to an 8-2 win. Thomas Grice was chased in the first period. Samuel Varlamov got to <laughs> take on the incoming fire for the rest of the game, and It's going to be one of those burn-the-tape games if you're the New York Islanders. And I think that's the best way to put it. I don't think the New York Islanders are sweating this too much. I don't think that they're rattled. I think that they knew they were going against a Tampa team that was going to be, one, rested. Tampa finished off the Bruins in, what was it, five, six games? Uh, And the Islanders are coming off a seven-game victory against the Flyers. Tampa's been on the sidelines for a little while. They've been resting up. They've been watching. They got Nikita Kucherov back. And you have to think that they were fired up for this game. This is a Tampa team that still has something to prove after last year. After all the hype going into their postseason last year and getting swept in the first round by, we'll just call it a spade a spade, an inferior Columbus Blue Jackets team. And this year getting to exercise that Columbus demon going against the regular season's best team in the Boston Bruins and beating them pretty impressively, and now going against an Islander group that has looked like one of the more dominant teams in the playoffs, but in a different sense than the Lightning have looked dominant. The Lightning have looked dominant by running up the scoreboard on other teams and putting a lot of pucks behind opposing goaltenders, but the Islanders, they've been dominant in a defensive sense. It's been in a little more reserved sense. They've played an amazing structure, frankly, under Barry Trotz. They've kept the vast majority of opposition chances to the perimeter. They've maintained puck possession. You really can't deny the fact that the Isles have been one of the more impressive groups in these playoffs. Now, granted, their possession numbers are lower than some of the other teams that are remaining. They have a 48.83 Corsi percentage relative to the Lightning, who have a 55.51. Vegas leads the playoffs with 59.86. My God. Colorado was up there too. You know, I I don't want to put a lot of stock into that, but it's there and it's something we have to acknowledge the fact that the lightning make good on so many of their chances even without steven stamkos who we know won't be back until at least the stanley cup final even without a key guy like that and even a, in a game like tonight where they ran seven defensemen and 11 forwards they if you give them chances they're going to burn you and the main characteristics of the islanders team and their system has been that they don't give up a lot of chances Um, you know like I think to me it's gonna come down to goaltending I think the Islanders can limit Tampa's chances enough to give them an opportunity to win but your goalie needs to make some saves your goalie needs to steal some games That's what happened last year in the first round. Tampa still got a lot of chances against Columbus, even though they got swept. They still put a lot of pucks on net. All the games were close for the most part, but Sergei Bobrovsky played out of his mind. And if you don't get that style of goaltending, it's going to be really hard to beat this team. The reason Dallas is doing so well right now, and we'll get to them in a little bit, Is because of the play of Anton Hudobin. Hudobin has been lights out. When he's needed to be. Look on the other side. Vegas. For my money. Has been the best team in the playoffs all around. Robin Leonard shut out the Vancouver Canucks three times. Obviously game seven was an easier shutout. As far as shutouts go. But when you can go back and forth. Between that tandem. Of Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury. You can beat damn near anyone. The reason Colorado lost to Dallas, frankly, was goaltending. And I'm not saying Michael Hutchinson cost them that series, because he didn't. There's just no argument for that whatsoever. But I really believe that had Philip Grubauer stayed healthy, and even Fran had he stayed healthy, Colorado would have, would have probably won that series. Anytime you score four goals and you're losing the game, you can probably attribute some of it to goaltending. But I don't think that series even gets to a Game 7 without Grubauer, to tell you the truth. And that's not a knock on a Dallas Stars. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying too much. We'll get to that in a sec. But when you're talking about the Islanders, they need one of their goalies to step up and steal them a couple games. That's the only way that they're going to beat Tampa. They might have to steal four games. Tampa's that good of a team. They're that potent of an offensive squad. So you can play all the good defense you want. But this is a Tampa team that can score like four goals on 25 shots. They can do it. Not a lot of teams can do that. Tampa can. So in order to beat them, you're going to have to keep the shots they do get extremely low percentage. And the Islanders have done a good job of that. But the Lightning are too good to not get any chances. They're not the Philadelphia Flyers. They are going to get chances. They're going to burn you, and they're going to get some really good looks. They're going to get power play time. So when those situations arise, you need a goaltender that is going to step up and make the key saves when he has to. Are Grice and Varlamov capable of doing that? Yeah, I think they are. But it'll be a question of whether or not they do. And I know that sounds like a cop-out, but oftentimes hockey is a very complicated sport, but it's also a very simple sport. You don't get good goaltending, you don't win. That's just how it works. I think the Islanders bounce back, and I think they win game two. But they're in tough. Would it shock me if they beat this Tampa team? No. Do I think they will? No. I don't. Right now. Then again, pretty much whoever I've picked has lost. And that's a good segue into talking about the Dallas Stars. Because as you well know, I have not been high on the Dallas Stars At any portion of the Stanley Cup playoffs. When Matt Bosti and I did our two-part playoff preview, I made it very clear that I thought the Stars were somewhat of a pretender. And that's a word I used specifically that's been thrown in my face by a bevy of people on their current run. And I just want to say a few things about that. I was wrong. I was wrong for calling the Dallas Stars a pretender. They've shown me that. They've won two playoff rounds. They currently hold a one nothing series lead against, again, Dollars to Donuts, probably the best team in the playoffs, in the Vegas Golden Knights. It was a hard-fought win. It was a close win. But they got it. Now, the Dallas Stars have played well. They have played within a good system under Rick Bonus. They've gotten quality goaltending from Anton Hudobin in the absence of Ben Bishop, which is even more impressive. But the Dallas Stars have also been the benefactors, benefactors, I guess recipients of some good fortune, shall we say. Let's go back to round one. The Calgary Flames losing Matthew Kachuk. That hurt a lot. I think that's a different series if Matthew Kachuk is playing. That's a different level of energy. It's a different level of talent. He's arguably their best forward. So when you lose a guy like that right away, right in the beginning, that's tough. And they didn't have Hamannick for the entire playoffs. Maybe if they have that guy, it's a different series. Maybe if they get a modicum of consistent goaltending, it's a different series. But... Again, you have to give Dallas credit because I can say whatever I want. I can make excuses for these other teams until I'm blue in the face, but they won that first round. And I'm going to say it again in the second round. Colorado ends up on their third goaltender. They have guys visibly and obviously playing hurt. They lose Gabe Landis for game 7 their captain. And yeah, they still took it. To overtime in Game 7. But you might as well just smash their knees with hammers. Like the hockey gods clearly hate the Colorado avalanche. They were they were smited. Is, is smited a word? Smote? Smitten? I'm an English major. I should know this, but I don't. How's that tuition payment looking, Dad? Anyway. <laughs> no, but Colorado... Basically had every chance to win that series taken away from them at every turn. And they still almost won it. Nathan McKinnon almost won the series himself. But again, you got to give Dallas credit. Because they, they pushed the pace. They played within their structure. And even when they went down, even when they gave up some big goals, they bounced back and they won games. Winning a game seven in overtime against the Colorado Avalanche is not easy. But they did it. I think for me, it's tough. Because you can use that as an asterisk beside Dallas all you want. But let's be honest. Luck plays a huge part in winning in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, it goes back to the old saying you got to be lucky to be good and good to be lucky. And Dallas has been good enough to be lucky. Dallas has played well enough to reap the benefits of this good fortune. I think they're running into a bit of a pickle in Vegas, though. I know they won game one, and they looked damn good doing it. Vegas looked awful. Vegas looked tired. Vegas looked gassed. Those teams played a game seven each on the same night, two days two days before their game one. Vegas looked like they had played a game seven two days ago. Dallas did not. Dallas looked fired up and ready to play. Vegas looked out of gas. You have guys like Mark freaking Stone making these stupid behind-the-back turnovers. If a guy like that is making mistakes like that, that's a tired group. Because I can tell you, having watched Mark Stone for the vast majority of his career, pretty much all of his career, because I've watched him consistently consistently, since he was traded to Vegas, that guy doesn't make mistakes like that often. So when he does it multiple times in a game, I'm thinking he's tired. And if that dude is tired, everyone else is tired. I think Vegas reloads. I think they. I think this day of rest is going to do them good, strangely. I think when you get to this level and you're playing this deep into the playoffs, you need... Less rest, if that makes sense. Because you're always just kind of firing on all cylinders. I think we're going to see some of that with Vegas. I think they come back. I think they win game two. And I think they win the series. However long it takes. And I think part of that is due to maybe Dallas's luck. Luck. Jesus. Luck. Luck running out a little bit. I think for me... Vegas doesn't have any injuries in net. Vegas is not missing any key players up front or on the back end. Vegas does not have any guys who are visibly, apparently hurt. The one guy they were missing in game one was Ryan Reeves. And I'm going to take some heat from this. But I think that played a huge effect on Vegas losing that game. That's one of their guys who brings the energy. Vegas' best line throughout the playoffs has arguably been their fourth line with Stevenson, Wad, and Reeves. So when you're missing your energy guy, your guy who goes out, throws some big hits, gets in people's face faces, chirps them, chirps the other team's coaches. You miss that energy. You come out flat, and it's hard to and then you're playing from behind. You're playing catch-up. And it's hard to play from behind, especially in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think now that Reeves has had a few extra days off, he's going to come back firing on all all cylinders with something to prove here in game two. And I think Vegas is going to look like Vegas again. And the problem for Dallas is even if a Robin Leonard gets hurt, you have Marc-Andre Fleury to go to. So yeah, even if even if Dallas gets some of the same fortune that they got against Colorado, they're still in trouble. Because Marc Andre Fleury's no slouch. He only gave up one goal in that game one. They did not lose that game because of Marc Andre Fleury. They did not lose any game that he's played because of Marc Andre Fleury. They haven't lost any game Robin Leonard's played because of Robin Leonard. Those goalies are on point whenever, they're, whenever they step between the pipes. Leonard especially. He's looked phenomenal. He's looked worthy of Conn Smythe consideration. I still think it should be Stone, but I digress. I know that has nothing to do with me placing a bet on Mark Stone winning the Conn Smythe. I think the thing is this. Dallas can absolutely beat Vegas. Anyone can beat anyone at this point. And Dallas has played good enough to beat the best teams, at the very least on some nights. But Vegas is a different animal. They're on par with Colorado, I'd say, but Vegas is healthy. Vegas is leaps and bounds and miles and planets ahead of the Calgary Flames. So if Dallas wins this series, they deserve to win the Stanley Cup. There's no question about it. But I'm still backing Vegas on this. I still think Vegas is the far better team, and I think that will reflect. Unless they're totally out of gas from that Vancouver series, and then they're just going to go out with a whimper. But I don't see that happening. It's a veteran group. Their goaltending is too good. Their coaching is too good. I don't see Vegas not winning this series. And just for that, they're going to get swept. Because that's what kind of playoffs 2020 has been. Let's move on from the playoffs and talk on the te- about the teams on the periphery of said playoffs. Let's talk about the Matt Murray trade rumors. Because there have been a lot of those. And had I done an episode last week, I definitely would have talked about it. But the rumor is, and I have no problem believing this whatsoever... In fact, I kind of expected it. The rumor is that the Ottawa Senators are in on Matt Murray. That they're at at very least kicking tires on him. And it sounds like the going rate for one slightly used Matt Murray is around a second and a prospect. That's kind of the general the general consensus of what I've heard. If Ottawa makes that deal is that I don't think it's a Drake Batherson or an Alex Formington, obviously. But a Rudy Balsers wouldn't surprise me. A Jonathan Davidson, a Philip Schloppik, none of that would surprise me. Maybe even a Lajoie or a Yarosh. But that seems to be the kind of ballpark cost for Matt Murray. And I got to tell you, from an Ottawa Senator's perspective... I think this is kind of going against the grain of what a lot of people think. But if that's the price for Matt Murray, I'm doing that all day. And I'll tell you why. If you're the Senators, you have a wealth of goaltending prospects. You have tons, and they are all great, and they are capable of becoming the future in net one day. They all have that kind of potential. Whether you believe they'll reach it or not, it's there. Marcus Hogberg, Joey DeCord, Philip Gustafson, Kevin mandalese who I got to the chance to interview a little while ago for Silver Seven if you missed it. Kevin's a great guy and he was awesome to chat with. Mad Sogard. And if I'm missing anyone, forgive me. <laughs> There's too many. But like I said, all those guys are more than capable of becoming the future between the pipes. But there is nothing better than a guarantee. Because goalies are voodoo, as we often say. Hell, prospects, you never know who's going to turn out. Nothing is guaranteed. Matt Murray is 26 years old. He's a restricted free agent. And he's won two Stanley Cups. Guys like that do not come on the market very often. And when they do, it is sure as hell not for a discount like a second and a mid-level prospect. Has he regressed? Yeah, for sure. He had a sub-900 save percentage this year. Nobody is arguing that Matt Murray is playing at the caliber that he was when he beat the Sens three years ago in the Eastern Conference Final. The year before that, when they won the Stanley Cup against San Jose. Nobody's suggesting that. But for that price, I'm willing to take the risk. It's not even that much of a risk. You can pay him a two-year deal, $6 million a year in arbitration probably. Ottawa has oodles of cap space. And more of it's going to be coming off when the expansion draft happens next year. There's, there's more than enough room to accommodate two to three years of Matt Murray. And the Senators have done well with these reclamation project type players. Kyle Turris comes to mind. Anthony Duclair has been unbelievable. Since he was pretty much totally written off by the rest of the league and cast off to Ottawa by the Blue Jackets. Ottawa's been down this road before, not with a player of this caliber. Kyle Turris at his best was not Matt Murray at his best. Duclair, same can be said for him. Maybe that'll change, but that's the way it is right now. And when you're bringing him into a system with a guy like Pierre Grew, who has been one of the better goaltending coaches in the league, and this has been said by many, and a guy who has a knack for developing these young goaltending prospects and really has an eye for talent and both uh, strengths and deficiencies in a player's game, why wouldn't you? Why would you not take a swing at Matt Murray for a couple years? At best, he maybe even exceeds his prime. Goalies tend to hit their prime around that 26, 27 age. Robin Leonard did. Henrik Lundqvist did. So Matt Murray bouncing back is not at all out of the question. And if he does, you are set in net, even if your prospects don't pan out. And if it doesn't work out, what do you have to lose? You've got good goaltending prospects coming up. Goalies are never that hard to move. So I'm not seeing the risk that people are worried about here. When it comes to taking a swipe at Matt Murray. I like the player. I think he. I don't think the level of talent that it takes to stand on your head. And win two Stanley Cups goes away within two seasons. It's still there. He's getting older. He's hitting that prime of his. That prime age now for goaltenders. I think Murray bounces back if Ottawa picks him up no pressure, no controversy. I really think that it's a solid move for the Senators. Now, that's not a knock on Anders Nilsson or on Marcus Hoogberg, both of whom I believe, both of whom I'm more than comfortable with the Senators running with this year. But if you can get a two-time Stanley Cup winner that's 26 years old and have RFA control for that price... I think you got to do it. I think you got to go for it. You know, I, the worst that can happen is not catastrophic. So to me, Matt Murray is the perfect guy to take a flyer on. And we got some questions here. Only a couple this week. Uh, Derek, what are your thoughts on the lack of support the Sens have shown for Anthony DuClair and the Hockey Diversity Alliance? Is this a direct reflection of how ownership really feels? What could they do to demonstrate support and raise awareness? Okay. That's a good question. But there's a couple things I feel the need to clear up here. I've spoken with the senators since this has come about, uh, since Duke has made his stance clear on this issue. To say the Ottawa senators do not support Anthony Duclair, that's not fair because they do, to my knowledge at least. Just because they're not out uh, trumpeting their support for him on Twitter and whatnot does not mean they don't support him or support the cause. Should they be doing that? Maybe. That's not for me to say, I don't think. I would defer to Duclair on that to tell you the truth. So I don't think the term a lack of support is accurate because when I spoke to them, they made it clear that Duclair is going kind of through this process of how to go about this on his own. And I'm not saying he's alone with lack of support. I'm saying He's deciding what avenues he wants to take. He's deciding what media he wants to do, uh, what kind of social media things he wants to do. They've deferred to him, from what I understand. So, I don't think it's a lack of support. Uh, I think they're kind of letting Anthony put his stamp on this and make this whole kind of uh, protest his own, in a sense. And letting him go down the avenues he feels comfortable with. They're not going to trot him out like a show pony and say, "Look at us, you know, we're doing we're doing the thing." I think Anthony feels supported, and I know it's frustrating for fans not to see the Black Lives Matter content coming through as much, but the Ottawa Senators to my knowledge are not a racist organization they support Anthony they support what he's fighting for they support social justice there's a lot of good people in the Ottawa Senators organization I can tell you that for a fact and there's a lot of good people that agree with Anthony and support him so I don't think it's a reflection of the owner's beliefs uh, you know me I'm the first to criticize Eugene Melnick but I I don't think it's fair in this instance. As far as what they could do to support in terms of more, again, I would have to defer to Duke on that. That's not my place to say, I don't think. So if he wants them to do more, then they should do more. And if he's fine with what they're doing, it's good with me. That's the best way I can put it. Um, And I think that is going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Gang, thank you so much for listening as always. I know I thank you every week, but seriously, it it means the world to me that there's still this much listenership and this much engagement after 33, 34 weeks now. I'm glad to be back, I got to tell you. It was nice to kind of have that little pause, but it's also not nice because it made me realize how much I love This show, and I love talking to you and engaging with all of you. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. Make sure you download the podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share with your friends as well as rate five stars. That is huge. It goes such a long way, and I really appreciate it. As you all know, kids are going back to school this week. So to all my friends That find themselves in a school environment whether it's as a student a teacher administrator whatever please make sure you stay healthy and stay safe and the rest of us to make this process easier for everyone please continue to do the smart things don't get complacent please keep up your social distancing stay with that social bubble of like 10 people wear a mask wash your hands and Stay safe, stay healthy, get tested if you're worried about having COVID-19. I did. It is a super painless process. Public health is awesome on this front. And the test, the nasal swab, it ain't that bad. Suck it up. Episode 34 will be coming at you next week, so look out for it and take care, y'all.